There is no other institution that has the ability uniquely, without a heritage, every generation starts over, to remind the current regime, we the people tell the government what it is allowed to do, to get back in their box and stay there. From the Heritage Foundation, this is Heritage Explains. This has been the habit here for, for decades now, for a long time, as long as I've been in Congress and before, where the Senate jams the House right before the Christmas holiday with a giant bill that's thousands of pages long that very few people have read and spends, you know, last year $1.7 trillion, adding $100 billion in new spending, just sprinkling that on top. That is no way to run a railroad. That voice may be familiar, and you may have guessed it's not a train conductor. That is Speaker of the House Mike Johnson talking about the spending bill that is currently being considered in the House of Representatives. He is talking about the way that Congress has historically passed spending bills, and the topic is very much a hot one, as the government is set to run out of money later this week, triggering a potential government shutdown. Speaker Johnson is proposing a solution to both the shutdown and the business-as-usual approach to government spending. As we've learned on this podcast, whenever we start talking about spending and appropriations, things get very complicated very quickly. And that's why we've brought on Eric Tietzel, Vice President of Government Relations, here at the Heritage Foundation to help explain. We talk about how we got to this point, what Speaker Johnson proposes to do, and on the Senate side, what has recently developed in Senator Tommy Tuberville's heroic stand against the Biden administration DOD. Eric Tietzel, welcome. Thanks. It's great to be here. Can you tell us who you are and what you do here at the Heritage Foundation? Yeah, my name is Eric Tietzel, and I am a vice president of government relations here at Heritage. How did you get into government relations? Oh, man. Long story, short podcast. Uh, uh, let me think. Um, I worked on the Hill. Uh, that's what most of us do. Uh, the last four years, I worked in the Senate for a guy named Josh Hawley, senator from Missouri. Um, I am from Kansas City. Uh, so got to know Josh uh, over a life and career kind of in politics and public policy. When he got himself elected to the Senate, he invited me to come and be part of his team. He viewed my lack of experience on the Hill as a feature, not a bug for the kind of member he wanted to be. So uh, kind of took a risk and came out and joined his team and um, had uh, what feels like an entire career in the span of just four years with all the things that all of us Americans have been going through for the last few years. But it was a joy. It was a joy to work for a member like Senator Hawley, who was in the fight. And uh, when my time came, which happened to coincide with the birth of my fourth child, to uh, give Chuck Schumer a little less control over my schedule, um, it was uh, a real answer to prayer that there was an opportunity for me to come over to Heritage and to stay in the same fight uh, from a from a different perch. So you've been keeping an eye on what's going on on Capitol Hill and a lot of Americans now. Uh, we know that there's been a lot of upheaval and a lot of history being made over mm. there. And the thing that underlays what we want to talk about today, we want to talk about everything that's kind of going on. Um, but we want to talk about first the new speaker. We have a new speaker. Um, some would say that that poll process was a little bit chaotic. Um, we at Heritage aren't as inclined to think so. Can you talk about that? Yeah, or to just embrace the chaos, uh, right? <laughs> this is going to sound 
weird to people who live in the real world, but I was in a meeting with some Danish parliamentarians <laughs> last week, and they're watching what's going on in the U.S. with great concern. You can imagine the beard stroking from some of our European friends about what they see reported in the U.S. media about the state of American politics. And the best analogy I could think of to explain why I think what we've been going through, especially in the House for the last year, going back to January, where there was a big chaotic fight over who the speaker would be, um, uh, is a lake. And it turns out that lakes have a life cycle and that every so often with the change in weather, the water on top goes to the bottom and the water on the bottom comes up to the top. And with it comes all the dead stuff that lives on the bottom of a lake, fish carcasses and dead plants. And you can imagine what else, which causes it to smell. And it smells really bad. And if you've ever been by a lake, there's a decent chance that the reason it smells is because of this life cycle occurring. But the other thing is it's really healthy for the lake. Even though it might smell bad, lakes need to go through that in order to be refreshed and renewed so that they can persist. That's what it's been like in the house. Uh, there's too much dead stuff at the bottom. And what you've seen over the course of this year is individual members being responsive to the demands of the voters who gave them their jobs, who are sick and tired of the way that American politics has been going for the last generation or more. Politicians who campaign on one set of priorities and principles and come to DC and fail to follow through. And we could go back through the litany of high profile examples of this, whether it's getting rid of Obamacare, which we were promised for so long and didn't happen, defunding Planned Parenthood, which we were promised for so long and didn't happen, and over and over and over again. And they had enough. And we're living through a period where voters are saying, please do what I asked. And if you don't, we're going to replace you with somebody else. In some cases, somebody who has no background in this who no one could have ever imagined being a leader in this world, like our president, Donald Trump, right? And it, that seems like it wasn't enough of a wake-up call. Uh, so now it's coming to Congress. And individual members are saying to the leadership, which for, historically has maintained a sort of dominant heavy hand of control over the process, and they're saying, no more. I don't work for you. I work for the citizens who voted for me to put me here to represent them. And that means X, Y, and Z. That's been messy. It's been chaotic. It's been loud. But that's what democracy looks like, actually. So we at Heritage are very excited to see uh, this sort of democracy in action. And we're very hopeful that the new speaker, Mike Johnson, is going to represent that same change in the way he does business. And I think we're already seeing him doing that. So the first big fight that Speaker Johnson is now facing uh, is around funding. So what's going on there? Yeah, great question. So this is complicated. It's got lots of moving parts and timelines, and I'll try to keep it as simple as I can. We have to fund the government every year, and there's a process that's supposed to be in place to do that. It's called appropriations. There are 12 individual appropriations bills that cover each of the different aspects of the federal government. Most years, Congress shirks its responsibility to go through this process. They just don't even bother to do it. Instead, uh, a few members in leadership work with some K Street lobbyists to write what's called an omnibus, where instead of doing 12 individual bills, they do one big 4,000-page bill to cover all of it. They keep it in a drawer until right around Christmas Eve, and then they say to members, if you don't vote to bypass all the rules and procedures and pass this bill, we will keep you here so that you can't spend Christmas 
with your family and get back home and see your your constituents. And oh, by the way, not only that, but the government will, will shut down and we'll blame you for it. And the news media will help, which puts these members in an impossible position. That's how business has been done for years. But as part of this new Congress, members, again, are stepping forward. They're stepping up and they're saying, we cannot continue to do this. We're $33 trillion in debt. Uh, we spend 30% more every year than we bring in in revenue. This problem is only getting worse. We've added $7 trillion in debt just during the last couple of years since COVID. Something has got to change. People are feeling the weight of this debt, really maybe for the first time in, in recent history with the rates of inflation and what it's doing to the cost of groceries and gas and your mortgage and your rent. Um, I met someone recently who had to cancel their uh, young child's Xbox Live subscription because they're cutting corners in order to try to make ends meet thanks to this economy, driven in large part due to just grossly excessive government spending. So we're at a point now where the current CR, which is a, a government speak for a bill to keep the government funded, stands for continuing resolution, will expire on Friday, November 17th. And so they have to do something in order to either fund the government or let it shut down. And Speaker Johnson has put forward a plan that would continue the current plan for funding the government until two different dates. Four bills would be funded through the middle of January, and the other eight would be funded through early February. And the goal here is to avoid that hostage scenario over Christmas Eve that I just described. So the Heritage Foundation doesn't typically love CRs because we think that members need to take control of the appropriations process and run it and use it to cut the growth of this woke and weaponized government. In this case, we can see why a CR would be beneficial. Speaker Johnson has been in his role for two weeks now. He's been handed this deck of cards that he didn't design or choose. Uh, we are under the gun of November 17th, and there aren't a lot of good options. Some members oppose it because they see rightly that CRs are bad and we shouldn't support them. Other members see that in this particular circumstance, maybe it's okay to fold this hand and get a new set of cards after the holiday and then pick up the fight for appropriations at that point in time, which is my understanding is what Speaker Johnson has pledged to do. And it's very difficult to look into the crystal ball and see what might happen politically. But do we have an idea of how this may play out? I think the CR is going to pass. We'll see. But the current winds suggest that it will pass the House. And um, many senators have sort of suggested that, okay, we don't want to shut down we don't love a CR either for our own reasons. Uh, we'll sort of swallow this and pick this fight back up in the new year. Is there anything else we should say about appropriations? Just the necessity of it. Whenever this actual appropriations fight does happen, whether it's in the midst of a shutdown around Thanksgiving or if this bill passes and it's in the new year, it is absolutely vital that the House fight to cut the growth of government, not just because there's all kinds of horrible and evil and reckless things that government is doing, but because the spending itself is really for the first time coming to bear. We are reaping what we have sown for generations and uh, things are getting dangerous. And if we don't take seriously the problem of debt and deficits, uh, it's going to get worse soon. Shifting our focus from the House over to the Senate side, 
There's been some development over there with the story that we've been following really closely here on this podcast and elsewhere, if you've been following Heritage Other Places, and that is the situation in the Senate with Senator Tuberville. Can you explain, you know, for the folks who may not have heard, what's happening with Senator Tuberville and now what is the development? Yeah, to sum up, um, in the wake of the decision in Dobbs that overruled Roe versus Wade, President Biden made a big public spectacle of saying that his administration would use every tool at their disposal to promote, expand access to abortion. And they have. And it's been the Department of Veterans Affairs and the State Department and virtually every other aspect of the federal government has tried to find ways that they can get into the abortion business. Uh, It also includes the Department of Defense which said in response to President Biden's order, the Secretary of Defense said, we are going to implement new policies without Congress's input illegally. We're going to start paying service members to take leave and then pay for their travel to go to states where they can access abortion if they can't access it in the state to which they are assigned as a member of the military. This is blatantly illegal. It's illegal because they don't get to dictate those policies on their own outside the purview of Congress. And of course, it's illegal because we still have uh, Hyde protections. And Hyde is the federal law that says that the federal government does not pay for abortions. So illegal in multiple ways. Nevertheless, the administration put this into effect within DOD. Senator Tommy Tuberville warned the administration in advance, if they did this, that he would put a hold on all senior level military promotions that require Senate confirmation in order to be processed. Now, what does that mean? Forgive me for getting a little bit technical here. Um, Essentially, uh, in order to be confirmed to certain positions within the federal government, both senior military and things like uh, uh, cabinet officials or senior officials in cabinet agencies, Um, you have to go through a Senate confirmation process. That involves a hearing. It involves a markup in committee where the committee members vote on you. If you pass out of committee, you're supposed to go to the floor of the U.S. Senate where the entire Senate then takes two votes on whether to confirm you, one called cloture, which is a 60-vote threshold in order to pass, and then final confirmation, which is at 50. Now, that's a lot of work, and it requires a lot of the Senate's time. It's often said that there's no more valuable real estate than the Senate floor because of the time it takes to get bills and confirmations done. Uh, They can only do so much. So typically with non-controversial things, senators can skip their own rules and procedures. It's called unanimous consent. If all 100 senators agree to skip the rules, then they don't have to follow those processes. And they can literally just declare these things done, whether it's a bill or a resolution or the confirmation of a nominee. But if even one senator says, nope, I refuse to grant consent to skip our rules, then the Senate has to follow their own rules in order to move nominations and bills. So that's what Tommy Tuberville was saying when he warned the DOD, if you do this policy, you're going to have to have a vote on your military promotions. Well, they called his bluff, and it turns out he wasn't bluffing. They put the policy into place, and he put a hold on military promotions, meaning no unanimous consent. If you want to move these, you have to have a vote. Well, Chuck Schumer 
was not willing to have a vote on these because he was not willing to grant Tuberville uh, the win by giving in to his demand. He thinks they should be able to do this by UC. And so for all the noise that now Schumer and Senate Democrats and even Senate Republicans are making about how Tuberville's holds are um, threatening military readiness, the truth is for a year they could have gotten these soldiers into their jobs if they had used the time on the floor to have the vote like they're supposed to. Instead, they played politics with this and wouldn't give in. And they thought Senator Tuberville would fold. But in what has become probably the most righteous pro-life action by an elected official in my political career, he has not folded in the face of immense pressure and criticism from Democrats, from Republicans, from the media, certainly from the deep state defense industry, and so on, because he understands that this policy is wrong. It's immoral. It's unrighteous. And it's illegal. And it shouldn't be allowed to stand. You know, conservatives have been making a lot of noise about uh, the growth of the administrative state. That's probably something that heritage listeners are familiar with, where this uh, leviathan of government just chooses to enact things outside the purview of, of Congress. They just get to make rules and regulations that hurt Americans and business owners. And it's like, who's in charge here? And where is Congress, which should be doing this? Well, this is yet another example of that, where the DOD is doing something they don't have the right to do and shouldn't be allowed to do. And despite being pro-life, Tommy Tuberville is also standing up against that basic principle. And yet he's faced the criticism, as I said earlier, even of some Republicans, which brings us to this week, where uh, Senate Democrats have crafted a resolution that would change the rules of the Senate and allow them to go around Sen Senator Tuberville's holds. Uh, they can't beat him. And so they're changing the rules in order to get around him. And uh, by the time this goes up, it's likely that you will have seen this rules change pass out of committee. And the next question will be whether it can pass on the Senate floor. It requires 60 votes, which means it can't happen unless Senate Republicans join Democrats in allowing it to happen. And they might. Pro-life voters in this country don't ask for much from their elected officials. They really don't. Um, we ask for them to hold the line on things like uh, the Hyde Amendment, which I mentioned. Um, every year around the March for Life, we get a vote on one bill, something like the Abortion Survivors Infant Protection Act, which says that you got to provide health care in the rare instances in which uh, a, a baby survives an abortion attempt. Um, those always fail. They're show votes. They, they don't go anywhere. Um, and that's it. And we didn't ask Senator Tuberville to pick up this fight. He did it of his own courage. Um, but the movement has had his back. And as I said earlier, it's become a historic fight for life. And so to see Senate Republicans, almost all of whom claim to be pro-life, to be even toying with the idea of undermining him by supporting this rules change uh, is tremendously disappointing. And I think all pro-life Americans should be paying close attention and be ready to make some noise when and if it should be that their elected officials who told them that they stand for a certain set of principles and ethics fail to follow through. I know Heritage will be. Eric Tietzel, thank you very much. Thank you.
Thank you to Eric Tietzel for his contribution to this episode. You can find more of Eric's work at heritage.org. And you can follow him on X at Eric Tietzel. That's at E-R-I-C-T-E-E-T-S-E-L. If you have any thoughts, feedback, or suggestions for future episodes, send them our way at heritageexplains at heritage.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It's written and produced by Mark Ghani, Lauren Evans, and John Pop.